Welcome to Behind the Body, the ultimate podcast exploring all things health, fitness, and lifestyle for women of all ages. Join your hosts, Andrea and Anna, as they bring you expert insights, personal anecdotes, and practical tips to help you live your best life. Whether you're a fitness enthusiast or just starting out, Behind the Body has got you covered. So grab your headphones, turn up the volume, and let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Body. We are so excited because we have a guest with us today, and she just happens to be one of our really good friends and one of Anna's clients. So we'd like to introduce you to Minnie. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. We're so, we, we, we will call you Dr. Minnie, but yeah. for this episode, <laughs> we will just call you Minnie. But in a future episode, we will refer to you as doctor. But Minnie is a great friend, a fellow competitor with me, and then also one of your clients. Yeah, welcome, baby. Thank you Thank so you. much for being here today. Actually, I'm very, very excited for this episode I know you almost three years Mm -hmm. and you are an amazing woman and I'm so glad to be part of your life. So thank Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you so much again for having me. I appreciate you both. Yeah, we're so excited because your background, I think, is just pretty phenomenal. Everything that you've accomplished as a woman is a great example to so many, to to us, but also to so many that are watching and listening to us. And, Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't come without struggles, your yeah. history, right? And I think that now today you're in a place where we all admire you. You've accomplished so much and mm-hmm. you're happy. And I would love to walk our audience through just a little bit of your background. And of course, this podcast is for revolves around health and fitness and yeah. that plays a big part in your life. So I want to talk about like how you've integrated that into your life, given your culture, you know, your family support, how you've gone through all of your education and what you're doing today in that area. But let's start with your background. Tell us a little bit about growing up. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Northern California in the Bay Area. I was um, born in Daly City. My family's in Vallejo, which is a a rural, not rural, suburban type of town. Um, So went to school there. I have one sister, two brothers, very close-knit Punjabi family. So my family's originally from Punjab, India, which is like North India. And so we're uh, Sikh is the the religion that we grew up in. But my family's not very religious. It's more of an identity for us. Uh, So the values are very much about like gender equality and allowing everyone to practice who they are. There's no missionary work. And so those are the values that I grew up with where diversity was accepted. Um, But also there's, there were limits to that, you know, when it comes to who we allow as far as like close friends or who we allow in the home. So my family, like I love them. I love my parents so much. They were, they've been married for 50 years now. And so they uh, grew up like they raised us very like strict as far as like keeping your friends at school. Like it's great you have friends, but they're at school and your your siblings are your friends. Your cousins are your friends. I have like almost 50 first cousins and they're all in the Bay Area. So we grew up like with a really big family, a lot of aunts and uncles, especially when my grandparents were alive. Every weekend it was like a party, you know, because it was just like family get together. And so um, we have like tons of videos and pictures of that time. And so I grew up very... Uh, very like a secure attachment, you know, very like loved and and protected and taken care of. And my dad is seventh out of uh, nine children. So most of my cousins are older. So I was also like one of the younger cousins. So I always felt like taken care of and, um, you know, like listening to others as well. Um, But part of that also taught me that I don't, I have to rely on other people, you know, for like their permission or what it is that they expect of me. So there were a lot of uh, cultural expectations, family expectations on what I'm, I should be doing, shouldn't be doing. But again, it was with a lot of love. So I felt like I'm doing it out of respect, not out of fear if I'm following the rules. Um, so that's, you know, pretty much how I grew up, went to public school and then, um, 
yeah. And then after that, I guess, went to college, went to San Francisco State. Shout out Gators. Oh, you <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually just on a panel interview with the as an alumni. So that was really exciting to like talk to the students nice. about my journey. Yeah. Um, but yes, because I, I so I did my undergrad in psychology because I didn't know at first like what I wanted to be or what I wanted to like major in. And everyone's like, oh, psychology is like super, you know, uh, you can be anything, you know, it's very general. So <laughs> is um, it? Is psychology? That's what I was told. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, normally you go yeah. to like business or like communications. Yeah, for but like no general. one in my family like really went to college. My sister did and my brother. And then but like most of my cousins, like you after a certain age, you're expected just to get married. So I was raised more to be a good Indian girl, you know, a good yeah. daughter, a good sister. And so those are the values that I grew up in. And so when it went, came to college time, I knew I wanted to. Uh, go for my education because I also knew that there was a lot of freedom in education. Like I was allowed to go to the library. I was allowed to go to school. And so that's where I would like find my freedom, you know, like I'm allowed to hang out with my friends if I'm in college or uh, night class, you know, or sometimes you say you have night class or sometimes you say you have, you're going to go to the library, you know, but that was allowed. Yeah. So I knew like education and freedom always went hand in hand for me. Oh, interesting. Did your parents support you going to college to university? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so they wanted you to pursue higher education, but you they still did. lived at home at this point? I did. So yeah. you still felt like still under the umbrella under the rules of the household yeah yeah definitely it's great the way mm -hmm. your family keep it culture you know and mm -hmm. your values because definitely mm -hmm. is one thing that is missing you know people is kind of don't have more this this relationship with mm -hmm. family and see that is the tradition i love that i, I love it too but i think it's so interesting the way that you clinically diagnosed or like observed that you had that you feel this need for like approval because when you're talking mm -hmm. about it i'm sure us and all the viewers and listeners are thinking like oh what a great way to grow up big family like great dynamic you like yeah. the social aspect the of it support, is amazing the love the support the yeah, yeah but then there's also like this alternative side to it where mm -hmm. you are reliant upon like some really critical i think yeah exactly needs from them and yeah the first one doing things that for us we grow up doing like a normal thing and you mm -hmm. kind of need to go after it so you could be able to do and feel like, okay, it's, it's, it's normal. I can do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So yeah. especially now I just see you like a totally different version. Oh yeah. So I was like super passive. I was so shy, you know, in it, like, I, my high school friends, if I see them, if I go back home, like they'll know, like I barely spoke in high school or like junior high. Like I was very reserved, super shy Yeah, throughout college too. Like I didn't really like I had friends, but again, like, you know, they're kind of like some distance um, because I just felt more comfortable with my own family or people, other Indian people. Like yeah. though that was like where I felt the most comfort. But also like you were saying that, you know, like when you're gr growing up in such a close knit community that there's a lot of expectations like Indian girls don't do that. They don't dress like that. They don't sit like that. You know, what are you, what are you doing? And so going out of social norms was, was not even in my peripheral, you know, like I wouldn't even consider it at first. So I went to college, went to San Francisco State and everything, graduated. And then like, what do you do after college? Like everybody is like, well, you get married. <laughs> did you have, before we dive into that, did, we, did you have like a uh, idea of what you do, wanted to do after college with your degree or? I did. So I actually had a, some really good professors at San Francisco State. And that that's when I felt like I want to be a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with psychology. I started learning more about like the different theories and different areas that you can go into. So I started volunteering a lot. I was working at a women's shelter doing working as a multilingual advocate. So um, taking women to their doctor's appointments, attorney appointments, they were living in a shelter, they were Indian and South Asian women. And so that was really powerful. And I was teaching them on things like domestic violence and, um, and freedom and you know, like, how do you take care of yourself? And a lot of them had young children, they didn't speak the language. Uh, so that was a really powerful experience for me. And so I was just volunteering, working. And then um, what was your 
I'm sorry, you asked something else. If you had an idea of what you wanted to do after college. okay. (laughs) Because we're talking about, well, yeah, naturally in your culture, the next thing you do after college, if you go to college, is to get married. Yeah. So So then I thought, okay, before I go to grad school, I guess I should get married. Um, <laughs> were you were you dating were you dating anyone? I gotta check it off the checklist of yeah. expectations. Yeah. But were you dating somebody at this time? I I wasn't dating anyone when I graduated college. But my first year of college, I was dating somebody. It was my first boyfriend, and uh, we were together about a year and a half. And he actually ended up leaving to have an arranged marriage, like during our relationship. So he went to India. I remember like. I was so excited for him. Like, oh, you get to go to India. You're so lucky. And then he came back and he told me I kind of got engaged. And I was like, what do you mean? You kind of got engaged. (laughs) Either you did or you didn't. No, is this something that because I feel like your culture is so tight knit, like yeah. is this something that happens that you were aware of or like happened within your family or within your like, not your like circle? that, you know, usually if somebody's in a relationship, they, you know, they have what we call love marriage, right? So that was like, you know, so I wasn't even considering marriage yet. At that time, I was like, 1920 years old, you know, so I, was, I knew I wanted to go to college. And so when he came back and, and said that, So I was like, okay, you know, you made your decision, but uh, he had a really hard time because he was forced into it. He felt he was forced into it. Um, So it was a lot of like back and forth, you know, for a couple of years. So throughout the rest of my college, I was starting to feel guilty. Like, should I, you know, still go through with this or not, you know, and um, but I knew like the way that the family was and I didn't want us to have to like run away and all of that. My family didn't do anything to me. And I was like, your family just, you know, they've already made their decision for you. So you you guys can do what you need to. But um, it was really hard on him. You know, like he had a hard time letting go. And I so bet. I was feeling stuck. So I couldn't move forward either. I felt really stuck yeah. um, for a couple. It was at least two years And then uh, finally, I I graduated college. And then by then, he did follow through with his commitment to get married. He moved on. And so I was like, well, I need to get married, too. And I'm going to go to India, too, and just get married. (laughs) You're like, well, that seems to be the place you could just go and, like, you know, make it happen. Like, that's how all of my cousins got married. And my parents had an arranged marriage. So that was like the norm and the expectation again. Right. So So it was for your parents to say at some point you're going to head back to India and we're going to find you a spouse. They didn't say it like that. It was more like me, honestly, like they were they didn't force me. But it was just more like, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do, like in order to be a good person, you know, like that's what I should do. And so there it was. Um like the matchmaker or the person that we knew the in-between person was in, um, in the Northern California. We didn't really know that person very well, but he said he had a nephew who's in India. So he took us to India. And then I, I was really nervous, honestly, about like the whole like interaction and everything. It was a very short visit. I was there for 10 days. And so we met the guy right away. And I I thought he was like fine. But again, I was really shy. So I didn't really ask a lot of questions. You know, I think I asked him two questions. I asked him, what what do you want to do when you come to the States? You know, as far as work, I think I asked him about his school or something like that, about, you know, where he what, what he studied or something like that. Was he the same age as you? He was. He was a year older. And um, but then we were in a like a, a big restaurant. So like the family's all like around and and again, like it's not like I've, I was I wasn't allowed to date. So even the first guy that I was dating, it was like my fa- my family kind of knew, but it wasn't like out in public. Yeah. And so this guy, when you met him, I'm fascinated. I'm, I, I, yeah. I feel like this should be in a movie and not on a podcast. You know, I feel like we feature the situation. I know, but I think it's so fascinating. And I actually love the fact that you're like, okay, culturally, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think this is the right next step. So let's go do it. I just think that's really fascinating Mm -hmm. to to be in like that driver's seat Mm -hmm. kind of. And so you go to India and you meet this guy. Did you have any attraction towards him? Or is that even a thing? Because it's so like... It wasn't attraction. Like I thought he was good looking and he said he's an architect. And I was like, okay, well, you know, he can make a good you know good career here as he seems fine and i i love india and i and he was from the village there and so part of my 
thinking was like, oh, we could live part time there and live part time in the United States. And it would be so great. Our children can speak our language and grow up close to our culture. So that was me. I was always very attached to our traditions and our cultural, you know, the like the the values. And that was more me of, of all of my siblings. I like my whole room even looked like it looks like an Indian museum. Like I have all these <laughs> like I have all these artifacts, you know, from India in there. And so I was just always attached to my culture, the the movies, you know. And so that's where I was, you know, I thought, okay, we can like live part time there. It's the village is beautiful. It's all agricultural, you know, very like in, in sync with nature and animals. And I thought it was it would be a beautiful life, you know, and I didn't even think about like, what if this goes wrong? Like, because again, I grew up with so much love and my parents again were very loving and they... That was kind of normal. Yeah. The experience that you had was so good. They were like, okay, so that is what feels right for yeah. you, right? Like that's what feels right for me. I'm going to do it. And, you know, I mean, glad that you did because... Mm-hmm. To that point, if you had done differently, may today you're gonna regret mm-hmm. to not have living the experience. And mm-hmm. the fact that you went there and you did it that it was right in your heart. I think it was definitely good, even I'm sure you learned a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you learned yeah, a lot through the process. For sure. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and so I, you know, I think it was like the second day that I was there, they were all asking, well, what do you think? And, you know, I'd only met him for about four hours at that time because it was like a big restaurant. There was like a, a little like um like a fair going on, you know, so we walked around and, and I was like, I don't know, you know, like, it's a very fast decision. And his uncle, who was again, from the States, um, he like took his arm around me and he was like, don't worry, Minnie, he's going to treat you like a queen. I'll guarantee it. Don't you have nothing to worry about? And, you know, just, you know, like, I think you should say yes. And then my sister was with me and my dad was with me. So I talked to my sister and she didn't see any, like any red flags or anything. And my dad was also like, whatever you want. And so I wasn't forced at all. Mm -hmm. It was my decision. But again, I was so inexperienced and so passive. I hadn't dated a lot. I didn't even know what to ask or what to look for. So I said, okay. And then the very next day in India, everything happens super fast. So we had, um, they just threw together an engagement party. And I remember in the morning I grew, like I woke up and there was like all these guys, like they're bringing flowers and sweets and jewelry. And I had a breakdown. I started crying and my dad was with me and I was like shaking because it was just like happening so fast. And I think intuitively I knew like this, something feels off, but I dismissed it. You know, I, I, I just like, this is already happening. It's fine. Um, I didn't say anything. I was just like, I felt like maybe I'm just nervous. I didn't say I don't want to do this. I wasn't like strong about that. I'm sure it's hard to identify that when you don't have like a lot of life experiences and relationships, you know, with us. Especially because your ex had the same situation. So it's kind of like feels the normal way to go and Mm -hmm. you have nothing to complain. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I got engaged, came back to the States and, uh, we were supposed to apply for like a fiance visa. So did they, he come with you? He, did, he couldn't come with me right away. So we, we applied for like a fiance visa. And again, the uncle had first said that he would do it. And then all of a sudden he was kind of backing off. He was like, anybody could do it. And yeah, the fiance visa. So I, I thought that was, like, that was my first like real red flag. Like something feels off. Why is he backing out from doing the paperwork like he said he would. So then my sister stepped up. She said, don't worry, you know, I'll do it. And so she was like, you know, so she did like the affidavit and or the whatever the process was. And so during that 90 days, I remember like my, the, my fiance, like he would try to call me and I didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> you like call and I would oh, answer. That's bad. That's a bad. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. I was just like, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> I didn't know what to talk to him about. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. Okay. But- so he came actually pretty quickly then after a few months and then he was living with his uncle uh, it was about an hour from my parents house and and he lived in Sacramento and so during that time we met a couple times and that time I started really starting to feel 
like something feels off. Like, I don't really like this person. Uh, he seemed kind of um, guarded with his emotions. And it just, I couldn't really pinpoint what the feeling was or what the reason was other than me just feeling like something feels off. Mm-hmm. And so I shared that again with my parents and um, they just thought it was just like nerves, you know, like there's because there was, again, no real reason. And so I, again, just went through with it. And within, I think, six months, we got married uh, during, like in San Francisco. Wow. So we got married um, and it was fine for the first month. And then after that, uh, he was just really jealous did you move in together after we moved in together like we started living in and oh that was the other thing like he we couldn't they couldn't figure out a place for us to live so i remember i was like scrambling to find us an apartment and so i found one about 15 minutes away from my parents so we started living together and um after the first month he just started getting really jealous if I would like go to work or go talk to any of my friends. Like, who are you talking to? Why are you working so late? You don't need to work. I'll take care of us. He couldn't actually find a real job because that's when I figured out he doesn't even speak English, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So usually in India, after, you know, a certain level of college education, all of the lectures are taught in English. And I know this because I would visit and I would like sit in the classes with my cousins. I would go to with him to college. And so I just expected him to understand English and I would speak to him in Punjabi out of respect. So I didn't pick up on it. I didn't expect it. Uh, but he had a hard time finding work. And then so my dad actually let him work at our one of our gas stations and just said, run the store part. You know, you just run that. And during that time, uh, not only was he like starting to really control my behavior and, you know, not really letting me go places. He started like checking my phone bill and checking every phone number, you know, like whose number is this? What is this? Anyways, like, you know, things like that. And it just got to be more and more. And when you're in it, you don't realize as much uh, that it's that that controlling behavior and it was really interesting you know this that you know like why why are you not trust me it was my choice to get married I wasn't forced into it and so I kept trying to prove myself like you know don't worry fine you can you know you want to drive me to work you uh, I won't talk to my friends so I was complying I was doing everything I thought I needed to do to keep the peace because I'm not like a fighter. I don't yell. I don't argue. My, again, and I grew up in a really like loving household. We don't fight. Even if we do, we just stop talking for a moment. You know, we give each other space and that's how we deal with anger. Um, but he was just getting a lot more angry and controlling. Uh, started with, again, emotional abuse and then it turned physical. And at that point, it was actually our neighbors that had picked up on it. I was living at, um, it was a, the Travis Air Force Base was, it was close to that. And so a lot of the other um, residents were in the military. And so they would started coming in and checking in, like, is everything okay? Because they can hear they shouting. They could hear, yeah. Yeah, they could hear um, like shouting and throwing things, things like that. And, um, and then it was, one incident that actually we were outside uh, downstairs one day and he hit me. I lost consciousness and the neighbors saw it. He started running that the neighbors actually chased him. And I don't remember this because oh I was, God, I blacked out. And so they, they held him and they called the police. And then that's really when it really kind of ended. Cause he, he was, uh, he was sent to jail, you know, it was County at that time. And, I said, I don't want to press charges. I just want him to leave me alone. I thought maybe we just need space. Again, I was still afraid of the stigma of divorce. I didn't even consider divorce at that time. Wow. I was like, maybe we just need space. And so I went back to my parents' house. And What did your family think about this? What did your parents think Oh, my think mom about was livid. She was like, because of her, honestly, I had the confidence that this is not the right person for me and I need to leave this this situation, this marriage. So she supported that. Not only 100%. supported it, but 
yeah championed it maybe. yes like my mom's very assertive and very like outspoken and she'll say what's on her mind love <laughs> she's, that we like, love those she's only women. five three but she's like <laughs> a firecracker <laughs> and my dad's more like chill you know like he's like let's just see what's happening we're like okay well you know like let's think about this and uh, not make any quick decisions and you know again he's also concerned about the community and you know what because he's very involved in our uh, at that time our temple our community and you know people like being really involved in what's happening so I think that was part of it too um, but again you know he also I think was noticing like you know like this is not a right situation I honestly didn't even tell them the details of what happened. I don't think I've told many people. So, you know, it's not something that I really speak about the details. Uh, those are like really intimate to me. Um, but, you know, during that time, I just I was working and then I knew I wanted to, again, be a psychologist. And at first, you know, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. I was going to go for my doctorate when I was in undergrad, I knew that, but I think I lost the confidence. So I was like, I don't think I can be a doctor. Like, who am I? You know, like I, you know, I felt like shattered. My soul was shattered. I lost yeah. all, all confidence in myself. So I was like, maybe I can do um, sorry, a master's, like that's more attainable. So that's when I went for my master's first. And, um, so I did that and I was just kind of going to school, working. Uh, I was working at Kaiser, I had like an administrative job there and then um, just working, going to school, coming home. And it was like this triangle in my life, you know, and I was I remember feeling really heavy and down. And during that time, I lost a lot of weight. Um, I'm 125 pounds now. I was 99 pounds at that time. And it wasn't an eating disorder, but it was a symptom of my depression. So I lost all appetite. I lost all, uh, uh, you know, like anything that brought me joy before. I didn't feel connected to anybody or anything. I just felt like lost. Like, what is my purpose? And I knew I was going to school, but I didn't feel connected to my classmates at that time. And I was just doing it just because it gave me structure. So I was kind of going through that for what was a few happening years. in your relationship at this time? Like, were you guys still communicating or, and mm -hmm. we were living apart or what was So he up? ended he was, he actually stayed in jail and the DA pressed charges. So they actually got like a warrant out for his arrest and um, they, the bill was like a million dollars because of all of the charges and they had evidence of everything that he had done. And so I didn't want to be involved. I was like, you know, just, I, I don't want to do it, but legally in California, if the victim doesn't want to press charges, the, the DA has to. Okay. And so they, they did that. Yeah. And, and then they invited me then after he was already in for a year, they did invite me to be a witness. And at that point, you know, I was like, I need to say something, you know, and so I did go in, my parents went with me to court. And I remember I wrote it out what I wanted to say to the judge, and how I felt about what everything that happened. And I felt like it was, I was betrayed not only by him, but I felt like I was be almost betrayed by my own culture. Mm -hmm. I was like, these are our traditions. And, you know, like I went there with all of these traditions and thinking like, and I felt like he robbed that of me for a while. Like I couldn't even listen to Indian music for a while. I couldn't, I didn't, yeah. The, the impact that this thing has, you know, in your life and Everything that you loved before became something that you is trivial to bring out these bad memories. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you know, but you know, again, in in life, I feel like these things sometimes have to happen in order for you to really rise above that. And so again, I was going through that. You know, during he's in jail, and by then I had filed for a divorce. And so that took a couple of years because he wouldn't sign the papers. And so it took a couple of years for that to finally go through. And then, um, and then I wasn't really taking care of myself either. Yeah. You were in a state of depression. You yeah. lost all this weight. You yeah. I lost like all this weight. I started spending time with friends, like family friends that were living in my own community. And that was great for me during that time. Like I was finally heard myself laugh again. I finally like remember looking at the sky one day and noticing like I haven't looked at the sky in years. I've been walking with my head down 
for years. And I still remember that I, I was like driving one day and like the Bay Area is beautiful. You know, there's all these like hills and it's like gorgeous. And I was driving one day and I like looked up and it hit me like it's been so long yeah. since I looked up. And um, so during that time, you know, I was like having fun going out with, you know, those friends. They were local. We were just like spend time in our own neighborhoods. And but we were drinking a lot, too. Mm -hmm. So alcohol was like prevalent in our community too. And so I didn't like how I felt anymore. You know, I was so tired of that lifestyle. And then um, during that time, my brother Gurpal was competing. And so he was, he was it, competing in bodybuilding. He was competing in bodybuilding. Yeah. And so <laughs> didn't expect to get emotional. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I, this is so hard. I've like never heard this much detail about your past, even though Me I know too. a little bit about it. I We're going to get into it. it, but I'm just so huh. grateful for who you are today after overcoming that. Oh my God, I can't say that I love you 10 times more right now because- <laughs> Just the uh, respect, you know, to yeah. see how you are today, having gone through all that. You you are definitely an inspiration. Yeah. So proud of you. And I really believe that uh, you're here today because you have this testimony, you know, to share. Because I know how many women are still going through this kind of relationship and you were so strong and your mom be part of the process. Mm -hmm. Just show that as a woman, you know, we are powerful. Yeah. We cannot let people do that to us. We cannot let ourselves do this to us. Yeah. You know, because you are amazing. You are strong. Yeah. You are smart, beautiful. Yeah. And just to see you with your power back, yeah. so much respect. Yeah. Thank for you. you. So tell yeah. us, so you, your brother was competing in yeah. bodybuilding. Yeah. I mean, had you been working out before that? I know you so He was already going to the gym. And so he got really into it. And then we, he started competing. And, and so I went, we went as a family to support him and we'd go to his shows. And um, that was the first time I saw bikini competitors. And so that time it wasn't, on media, you know, I didn't have Instagram. I don't know if it was around at that time, but um, so I, that was the first time I saw that division because before you would think about women's bodybuilding and you're thinking about like that Jim Carrey skit, you know, like, <laughs> in living color, like, so it's like women bodybuilding, uh, steroids and, yeah. you know, like huge. And I'm like, uh, so that was the first time I was like, they look feminine and they look like Wonder Woman. They look like superheroes, but still like very like feminine and but with muscles. And I, that was the first time I had exposure to it, but it wasn't a thought like I, I I can do that. I was just enamored. I was impressed. And I was like, whoa, I can't believe this exists. And so um, he was still competing. And then he had a friend, Ariel, who he was like, um, who was, who was a, a coach. He was just getting into like personal training. They worked together at 24-Hour Fitness. And so I became friends with Ariel on Facebook. And so Ariel was posting transformations of his own clients online. And randomly one day I, I commented, I was like, can you make me look like that? <laughs> and I was kind of said it like not seriously, but kind of just interested. And he was like, come in, you know? And, and so he met actually private messaged me and he's like, come in next week on this day. So I was like, oh shoot. <laughs> he was holding you accountable for that comment. Yeah. He's like I sure can. Like he was you. more serious than me. Right. And then so, but I did, I said, okay. So I, I went in and he was like a small gym. He just started his own thing at that time too. And so I went in, we, um, and he was like kind of just taking an assessment of where I'm at. And then, so he's like, lift your shirt. Let me see your stomach. <laughs> And I was like, so embarrassed. And I was like, Oh, my God, what? <laughs> and then, and then um, so I did, you know, I was like, Okay, he's a trainer, whatever. And again, at that time, I was still pretty passive, pretty shy. I'd never worn a bikini in public ever in my wow. life, even at home, like we would wear sweats, like if my dad was around or my brothers, you know, like I was Just always, always covered. wearing baggy clothes. I yeah. was like that in high school. I was like the chola girl with yeah. like over. <laughs> <laughs> like oversized tees yes. and baggy shirts, big earrings, you know, like that was me. That so I was not like a girly girl at all. Yeah. And so... And um, how old were you when this was all transpired? So by then I was... 
31. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so you've never worn a bikini no. at age 31. No. Wow. It actually wasn't until I was 33 the first time I actually did wear a bikini in public. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. We've got a lot of making up to do. We've got a lot of making up to do. Yeah. Okay. Next session. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So you bared your stomach and you let him get like a comprehensive idea of where you were at physically. Yeah. And he was very matter of fact. Like he was like, I was like, you know, like <laughs> making like all these like feeling nervous and shy, but he was just like, whatever, you know, uh, so he didn't make me feel uncomfortable Good. at all. And he's like, and he's looking at me, he's like, okay, we can, you need some shoulders, you need this. And I'm like, shoulders, I just want six pack abs. <laughs> like I never even looked at, You're like, I never shoulders. even looked, I have shoulders right here. What are you right. talking about? I just never even looked at my shoulders or considered it. <laughs> so then, um, so we made a plan and, you know, I started started coming in it was like five days a week so he made a plan we you know I would come in he wrote my diet for me and then I told my brother obviously and my brother was very encouraging and he was like you better do it 100% otherwise it's a waste of time because my brother is also very like direct and matter yeah. of fact he's like are you actually going to do this or well, were you <laughs> was this in an effort to compete or did you just no. want to like improve your body composition and like just introduce fitness into your life I just wanted to yeah get yeah get lean and kind of like look better so it was more for aesthetics in the beginning. Yeah. And then as I started going and we we're training together, you know, and the form, you know, like he's telling me, look in the mirror, chin up, shoulders back, like you're so empowered by just the form. You're not lifting heavy at all. I was like five, eight pound dumbbells, I think, in the beginning, because I had never lifted ever. You know, I went to the gym. I did a little bit, I think, in the weight section, but I was so intimidated. I was like that person always in the cardio section because right. that's where the women were. Uh, especially in the community that I was in. So he started training me and I started feeling better. Like I noticed like this mental change shift in, in within myself. I started feeling more confident. And that's what actually me, helped me sustain and help me bring out this other side of myself. And that's when I, you know, it started bringing other changes in my life. I noticed I started being a lot more mindful of my time and who I'm spending my time with. I, I applied again back to graduate school. So I, st I started my doctorate program during that time and I started feeling confident again. It was the, the training, you know, the, the gym, the weight training specifically, and also his coaching style. He was very much like quiet. He's like Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> like he'll just like tell me what to do and just like put his like hands like cross them and like just like watch me and like you can do this like don't so I never complained and I never like felt like I can't do it because of the confidence that also he gave me that's Thank amazing <laughs> yeah I absolutely love that so you know I started again that's where my confidence started to build it's not that you buy you go to the gym you're life is gonna change because you're gonna look hot or this and they're gonna have muscle but it's something inside that makes us appreciate life so much more mm -hmm. i think it's a way to say god thank you another day i'm half i'm here taking care of my body yeah. you know because it's where our soul is yeah and that brings us like more confident because that point, every everything that we do, we want to do better. When we, we face the challenge, I just feel like we are stronger inside out. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and so I was, again, studying to be a psychologist. So I was teaching these skills as well, you know, about your thinking patterns and your beliefs and, you know, what you have to show up in this way. And, you know, it was really it was going hand in hand so it was reinforcing the work that I was doing because even when you're in grad school you're still doing internships and practicum so you're working with patients and you're doing groups and so you're you're practicing teaching all of these skills and then it was great that my personal life was reflective of that and we all know as psychologists like self-care is really important that you are the tool you know you are you, you so you really have to take care of your body you can't be tired you can't be um, not ready, you know, you have to show up for your patients. At least that's the way I do my work. And I'm really invested in my patients. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving my best every time I meet with them, that I'm really there fully. And that can only come if you're 
uh, taking care of your body. So that's when I made sure I prioritized my sleep. I was, you know, eating really healthy. I was going to the gym. I had a really good self-care regimen. My family didn't live too far away. So I was seeing them every weekend. And so I was again, again, feeling really good again and happy and in my life for the first time after a long time. Because it's when mm -hmm. you definitely found yourself, mm -hmm. right? It's when you are now even based in the, you know, the culture, the dreams that you had in your mind, because you went through and you see the reality and you say like, okay, based on that, I'm going to create the reality that makes me happy. And I'm going to mix a little bit my culture that it was the foundations, you know, a lot of years ago and with the the, the reality now and I'm gonna become you know this strong powerful woman and I'm gonna help because by your testament by your example I'm sure that you already had help a lot of women and I hope now with the podcast you can help it even more because it's fantastic yeah how you. did your family support you and your fitness endeavors because I know we've talked about it before that it's not prevalent for females to work out or be into fitness. And especially in America, it took it 33 years. We're going to get to that part. We're going to get to that part, but I want to know how your family supported that. Um, they were supportive. Great. Yeah, they were, they were, because they saw I was getting happy again and that's all they wanted for me, you know? And so they would, they were really supportive. They were excited that, you know, I was in the gym. They were happy that me and my brother were training together. Some days would go to the gym together and they saw that, you know, again, I, I stopped drinking. I stopped like, you know, like staying out with friends. And so my life entirely was changing. And then when I went to grad school, I you know started living on my own again. And I was, you know, again, structured, but happy lifestyle. And so they were very, really um, like encouraging in that way. Um, but again, it's like you said, it, you don't see other Indian women um, competing. And so Ariel started coaching men's physique. And so I didn't, I was new to the whole like bodybuilding thing and I didn't really know what any of it was. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And and then they were like training some bikini athletes too. So him and his, it was his girlfriend at the time, but they're now they're married. They, they have a family. But so he would, we would kind of like laugh about it. Like, oh, maybe, you know, I'll do that one day. But no, I, I would, you know, I, I don't think I could ever do that. I just want to look like I can compete. <laughs> Minnie, from having never worn a bikini <laughs> yeah. in her life is maybe contemplating getting not only in a bikini, but yeah. on stage yeah. to be judged and what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it took a while, you know, until um, I felt like, it was like, again, even when I, I wasn't a decision to compete. After a while, Ariel was just focused on men's physique. And so I went to Houston for a while to the medical center to do my internship. Then that was my third year training with him. And then when I came back, he said um, his his wife, Linda, they had gotten married at that time, uh, is doing all the women now. So they're kind of like splitting it where she's doing all the bikini and women athletes. And then he's just focusing on his men's um, physique just for competition mostly. And because he was progressing in his own career. So at first I was a little resistant. I didn't want to try some somebody new, even though I knew her, you know, I was like, I don't know, does she doesn't really know my body. And then I then I was like, OK. I, and then I told her, I, I just want to look like I can compete, but I don't I, I don't want to go on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a nice little baby step to yeah. take towards, you know. Yeah. yeah. And especially now I understand totally why it is hard for you to open up for a new person, you know, mm -hmm. And you are very so comfortable with your coat and then even you know you know her. It is different. So we have baby steps in, in all the ways. Yeah. 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 So then, um, so we started working together and it was online then at that time, like she would just send me my plan and my routine. And then I was just going to the gym on my own. I was living in, um, Redwood city, San Mateo area at that time. So I was just by myself, you know, I would do the, the training program and whatever she told me to eat. I was doing that, did that. And I started seeing the results, you know, I started seeing like, Whoa, my body's really changing. And, and then, you know, after I think I was with her for about six or eight months. And then I was seeing all of her posts of her athletes on stage. And then I was like, well, maybe I can do it. 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so then I, I brought it up to her and she was like, pick a show. <laughs> and she was just like, I was like, what? And it was like the same thing. Like when Ariel first told me, like, just come in, you know, it was it was that same feeling. So it was felt like a challenge, but like a good, exciting, scary challenge. Yes. So I, I yes, went we on the like NPC News Online website and then I picked this show in Sacramento. It was and, and later on that year, it was like it was like 10 weeks away. And and then so because she, she said, pick it within this range. And I was like, that's too soon. How and so that felt like really soon for me. But she was like, you're ready. You can do this. And so she coached me through that first um, that first time that I competed. And it was that's that's when I really fell in love with the stage. And this competing journey started for me where I was like, yes, that was the first time I, again, felt so confident and again, I was like in a bikini and, you know, my mom was there. My brother was there. It was just like, but you don't feel it's not about the physique at all. It's like your soul just feels like it's lit on fire. And that's the feeling that I chase every time I go to the gym now, every time I'm weight training or doing my cardio, it's a feeling I'm chasing. It's like, yeah, where it's like, okay, we're trying to look for certain, you know, aesthetic look. And that's, you know, the overall goal. I think that's what most people see, but they don't understand that it's more like this mental toughness that comes with it. And I loved it. I felt tough for the first time again in so long. It wasn't just like, I feel good. And now I started feeling like I, I, I'm a badass. Yeah. I can do, I'm, I'm a leader. <laughs> I can do anything I want. Who cares if no one else has done it? I remember I was like Googling other Indian competitors at the, when I first was training with Ariel. And I saw there was like none. And I saw like, um, what's her name? India? India Paulino. Yeah, India Paulino. <laughs> She came up. It was like she was like the only thing that came up. Oh, she's not even Indian, right? So, so I started just following her. I was like, oh, she looks good, you know, she like whatever. She's great. She's a good competitor. <laughs> but it wasn't. I wasn't seeing like bikini pro athletes that are Indian. And then it felt also like I get to represent my culture now. Like I'm falling back in love with my culture and my roots. And here's a way to give back and, and own it and say, you know, if our sick values are that there's gender, there's no gender discrimination. I'm gonna show it. You know. If men can do this, I'm going to do it too. If men can post and they can work out and train in the gym, like, so what? I can do it too. Irrespective of that. Yeah. Because it's a good point, you know, when you're talking about bodybuilding, you are not on the stage with your bikini Try to, no, you haven't been working hard your body, you're there. And people who is judging you or watching you in our community, we are not looking to your body sexually. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is so hard for you as a woman to like, listen, so my brother, he's good because he does that. And I'm not good because I'm a woman. No, yeah. I'm going to show you that, yes, I can be a doctor. I can be a bodybuilder and I can still love myself, respect myself and have my values, right? And yeah. that's amazing. There are so many misconceptions about the bodybuilding or even fitness community mm -hmm. in even in the U.S. and mm -hmm. our culture, that it's a vanity sport, mm -hmm. that it, it has to do around steroids or PEDs. You know, there's just like so many misconceptions. But what I love about your story and what I love about you representing for your the Indian woman in your culture is that you can show that it's like so much more, like you show the empowerment yes. behind it, yeah. right? You can show like the mental and physical strength that it takes. And I think that that's what it represents when I think we see you and people see you. It's like, and of course, we know that it's much more than just the physique and it's much more than, you know, the misconceptions about steroids and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. I love that you're representing that for your culture. And, you know, I still don't know any other Indian women who compete. I have not come across them myself, but I bet you there's likely somebody Googling, interested in the sport, interesting yeah. in maybe doing that someday and Googling an yeah. Indian athlete. Was Mr. Olympia bodybuilder, is he Indian um, last year, 2020? No, he was Egyptian. Oh, he Big was. Rami. Oh. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Not to but confuse now the there's, two. Uh, there I is just, a lot sorry. more, and now that I've been in around the industry a lot more, now I've been following. I've found a lot more pro athletes that are Indian, but again, they're from India. Not so many from the states or right. from California or that are like me. Like I was born and raised in California, so I'm very American, and I'm also Indian too. So it was hard to find somebody that's that's just like me that's done it. And so I I was like, well, I get you know I'm the first doctor in my family. I'm, I'm going to be the first uh, female bodybuilder in my family. I, I get to do it. whatever I want. Yes. This is my life. And this is my experience that life is an experience. And I'm tired of giving my power away to other people. If you're with me, great. If you're not, you know, I wish you love. And, and you know, I, I don't want any like no, even to my ex-husband, like I wish him peace and happiness always. I never felt resentment towards him. I actually thank him for bringing me here because of that part of my life, I had to ha go through that in order to really appreciate life again. And in order to appreciate my family again, like I felt like I had a second chance at life and freedom. Again, freedom has always been my number one value. And that was taken away from me. And then I realized, well, that was only a few years of this 30 plus years at that time. I'm not going to give him all of my life. You know, that was a, a a blip in my life if I look at it in a time perspective. And so it's really a choice. That's where you think about even just trauma, like this was a traumatic experience. But trauma is just trauma. It's a life event. It's really the meaning and the narrative that you create from it. There's not only post-traumatic stress disorder, there's also an area of research called post-traumatic growth, where you're growing from your adversities. And, and that's exactly what I did. And I was like, you know, like, I'm going to use this story to give me a platform to be stronger, to be better. And, you know, whether he's watching me today or not, or not on social media, I don't know, a lot of my posts, some of my page is public, you know, and I, I used to keep everything private. But I'm like, I'm so tired of hiding. And even in as a psychologist, like, Sometimes you think like, oh, you know, your patients are going to see this or, and, but I'm not posting anything bad. And I want people to feel empowered in living in their own body, that this is not a, a woman's body is not only sexual, like you were saying, it's, 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 it's a body, you know, and I love my body. I love the curves. I love the muscle. I love the femininity and the masculinity of it. And we can be all of it and embrace it. Definitely an, an amazing experience for me to listen to you and just see how is it, yeah, it's possible. You, you know, you reborn, reborn, reborn when you mm -hmm. are in your thirties about everything. Mm -hmm. And I think we always say we don't get old, you get better. 100%. But we definitely hear you look younger yeah. and, you look <laughs> and you yeah. make decisions. Yeah. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, it's because I chose to relieve myself of those burdens. And those burdens are our own thoughts, our own beliefs. And, you know, you get to choose the beliefs that you have. You know, we call them intermediate beliefs, the, the attitude that you have, the, the rules you have about life, you know, if-then statements. And if you're creating rules that are oppressing you or that are making you feel less than, you have to check in with yourself. That's you. You know, you have to take accountability for your own beliefs and your own thoughts and you can't blame other people you know maybe when I was younger I could say oh because I grew up in this culture it's my parents fault it's my community's fault but no you know it's like this is I'm an adult today I'm going to reparent myself if I need to and I get to choose the way I live my life and I feel good about the way I'm living my life. I feel like I live with integrity. I don't hurt people. I'm doing the best that I can. I know that there are times I will make mistakes. I am flawed, of course, but we all are, you know, and, and that's okay, you know, as long as you're you're learning every single day. And yeah. I always say that we're learning more when we're going through the hard times, you know, when we're leaving the happiness, because it's that when you go through or by your mistakes or someone else, you know, make us, you know, hard time or any situation that broken our heart, for example, we grow. We are so scared about to fall. We are so mm -hmm. scared about to go through hard times, but we definitely get better. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about the post-traumatic growth. Yeah. Because I find that so empowering, what lessons you can take out of it, what you can do differently, like how can it empower you rather than drag you down to the state of depression or making you feel less than? Exactly. I, and sometimes it just, 
is nice to put like a name or a phrase to something mm-hmm. so you can use that as like a as guidance, you know, mm-hmm. or as some sort of tool to help you see things differently. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that the, a lot of it is in positive psychology. So if you're you're uh, audience is listening, you know, I would encourage you to look up uh, post-traumatic growth or even positive psychology because it's, it, we don't have to always pathologize every situation or every symptom that we're experiencing, even depression or anxiety. It's not a bad thing. Like everyone's trying to be antidepressant, anti-anxiety, but th- these are our body's way of signaling us that something needs to change. It's actually a very beautiful thing if you lean into it. Like, why am I, what is my body trying to tell me that I'm feeling feeling anxious right now or that I'm feeling depressed. Your body always has your back and it's always fighting for you, not against you. You know, our hearts are always beating or always breathing, uh, you know, spontaneously. We're not really thinking about these things. So you have to love your body, not, not just physically, but from the inside, you know, like the, that's why I choose wisely now how I'm spending my time or how I'm eating. I'm, I work out because I love my body, not because I hate it. I'm eating healthy because I want to nourish this body that's always been with me through all of it. And it's always like having my back, you know, so I got to have its back too. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Dr. Minnie, you're going to be running this podcast from now on. Thank you very much. We will see you next next Wednesday. (laughs) First of all, thank you for being so vulnerable about your life, because I think it's nice for our audience to listen and to not only be inspired, but for people to not feel alone if they're going through something that's very similar. So thank you so much for being as open as you were about that. I know it's hard. It was hard for you to say. It was even hard for us to listen to, to see one of our dear friends go through such a traumatic experience. It's it's really difficult. Thank you. Of course, we're going to have Dr. Mini here more times because it's so much knowledge that you have. Mm -hmm. We should say that you you treat trauma patients. Yes. So actually, so now I'm in, I have a private practice. And so I specialize in trauma and stress-related disorders. And so PTSD, acute stress disorder. And I'm also a, a yoke. Uh, a yogi. <laughs> so I've uh, done a lot of teacher training. So I do workshops um, around uh, Southern California now in San Diego, but also uh, I've done one in Sedona. So I do workshops where I'm teaching on stress and trauma and also learning more about the, what's happening in your brain and your body when you're experiencing these things and how yoga is has been shown as, as, as a treatment form. So we go through like the research and you know, what, what, what's happening when you're doing yoga or you're working out. So I'm also a bit of obviously a big advocate for exercise and a lot more research is being shown to how the benefits of exercise when it comes to managing stress and trauma and depression, anxiety, it's just a cure all, you know, so I encourage everybody to move your body the way you can, even if you're not, if you're worried about lifting weights, if, if a lot of your audience are women, you know, like just think about it as like everybody's more focused on themselves in the gym anyways and in the beginning like I was too I was afraid like again when I started working with Linda she was sending me my plan in like online so it was the first time I was training on my own so I would like put my cap on low <laughs> and like you know like just my beats headphones. Yeah, like... just like and not look at anybody or sometimes I would think like these are my bros they're my brothers they're not you know they're, yeah. they're all, You're all, all in there with the same goal. we're all training yeah. together these are my bros you know and my workout <laughs> partners that don't yeah. know me I don't know them yeah. Yeah. yeah so I stopped worrying about them like as looking at me in a judgmental way and I felt like they were actually my allies here and so I would start feeling comfortable can you spot me can you like you know like and I started making friends with with people in the gym in that way. And so now that's that's why it's easier for me now uh, to to be in the gym around men. Like, you know, the other day uh, I was at my, my own gym and it was only men that night in the in the weight section. But I didn't feel intimidated. I, I can go pick up the dumbbell. I can walk across and I don't feel that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. I mean, it, yeah. even, you know, in the last few years, watching you growing, just see like all the transformations, the way that you go through in your prep. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm a big fan. You're intelligent. You are inspirational. You pursue your dreams and are such a great role model for me, us, many people who are watching. So I'm going to put where people can find you. We'll put your Instagram handle up. But I also just want to give a little plug because I love this so much for your Ask Dr. Mini on Instagram because I just think that's phenomenal. And I have yet to submit a question myself, but I love to read other people's questions and your response to them. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's uh, drmini.co. And so on Wednesdays, I uh, invite people to share a question and I post it live on my stories on Wednesdays. So people can ask about anything related to psychology, uh, exercising, yoga, bodybuilding, anything that, you know, I feel like I, I can share a little bit on. And so people talk about relationships, boundaries, whatever the questions you have, you can uh, message me and then I, I will post my a response to it on Wednesdays live on my story. And I love it yeah. because the questions are so relatable because they're coming from just, you know, your general audience. And so are your responses. It's like, I feel like every time I read your response, like it's tactile information, feedback, direction, I can turn around and use into my life, even if the question doesn't directly relate to me, but I love it. I'm a big fan of it. So we'll post that Instagram handle as well, or the email. Definitely, We'll, we'll link it below so people know where to, and how to access you if they're interested yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, am I so amazing? I know. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I don't know yeah. how long we went, maybe long, but I know that this was so valuable. I think we yeah, could sit yeah. talking forever. And yeah. thank you for coming back in advance because we will be doing a session with you where we have your expertise around, particularly around eating disorders, yeah. like we'll talk about, but we'd love to have you back more in the future about other topics that are so relevant to our community around health and fitness. Yes. Again, you are a living, walking example of how to incorporate that and integrate that into your life in order to empower you and make you stronger from the inside out. So love your expertise. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both so much, you know, again, for creating this platform for all of us, you know, to share our stories. I think community is so important. And a lot of times we are lonely and we're, uh, we're feeling so isolated in our experience. And sometimes like, you know, even in my own life, when I was making changes about who do I include in my life, who I, who do I not, I was listening to podcasts and I would pretend the host, like that's one of my friends. That's one of my five, you know, they say you're the best. You're the, you're the sum of the five people. The you spend the most of, yeah, time you're the average yeah. of the five. And so sometimes you don't have those five people. So where do you go? You go to podcasts. And so this is a community that you guys are creating. And I'm so, you know, um, honored that you invited me to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we hope a community is so important for all the reasons that you said. So that's what Anna and I strive to do so people don't feel like they're alone because like you said, it is easy, especially in today's society where we're all on social media. Today was so amazing. Yes. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thank you you, everybody for listening. Please subscribe, like, (laughs) share. Like, subscribe, (laughs) share this episode with somebody you think would get some value from it too. Again, Minnie, thank you for being such a wonderful guest on our show. We look forward to having you back as Dr. Minnie. (laughs) And any questions, comments you guys have below, please feel free to ask. And thank you for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next time on the next episode of Behind the Body. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Body, the podcast that's all about helping women prioritize their health and wellness. Remember, small steps can lead to big results and progress, not perfection, is the goal. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube and let us know what topics you want us to cover next. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on Behind the Body.